great. But here's what he did. Rhyme it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Oh, please just rhyme it. And he really gets into it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Yes, of course. We will you don't even have to think about it. So let's rhyme it today. Rhyme it. Yes. We are going to rhyme it. Just that's where he just after ran down. Everybody, amazing. I'm not going to remember any of it. That's good. Way to go. All over the Rams today and Rammy. Now he's like on his feet. How are you guys? Who's Wow. Rammy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Rams Brothers. I'm your host, Dean, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother and the other great host of this show, Nick. And Nick, the Rams' season unfortunately ended. A one-point loss in Detroit last night. But first and most importantly, how are you, my good brother? Oh, I'm good. I let myself get all carried away and thought that they could actually make it to the Super Bowl by the time of kickoff. And then you lose and you're back to start. So don't feel great, but it was a great season. It was the Packers' fault. That's the reason why your expectations were were so high, right? It's because you saw the pathway to the Super Bowl. You saw the pathway at least to the NFC Championship. In Dallas crumbling, letting up 48 points at home, you were thinking to yourself, the Rams can't possibly replicate that kind of performance. But if they can go into Detroit and win that game, then you could possibly see them advancing into the divisional round to the NFC right. Championship. Because All of a sudden you're playing Tampa or Philly exactly. in two very winnable games. Yeah, so... Yeah, so there was all of that emotion, obviously, all of the emotion that was built into Ford Field, Eminem coming out before the game, talking about how Matthew Stafford owed them a victory, the emotions between Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford and Dan Campbell and Sean McVay and all the other behind-the-scenes storylines. But I, this game was was very well played, perhaps poorly officiated down the stretch, and I think that's one thing that everybody kind of wants to talk about is the hold on Puka Nakua later on in the fourth quarter and then the late hit on Matthew Stafford. So there were some things that were pretty objective in terms of calls that could have went either way. But you have to think like first home playoff game in Detroit in 30 years, they're probably going to side yeah. on the on the side of the, of the home team, you would think. Uh, That's stuff you're going to have to overcome, I think. And a, a lot of it was blatant, but I'm not going to sit here and say that's why we lost the game. And I don't absolutely think that should, should go further and, you know, continue – with that narrative because we had opportunities to put them away. You know, there's, there's times the red zone efficiency um, and shout out to the defense for holding them to three in the second, but just wasn't enough. Yeah. So there's a couple of different things like the red zone efficiency is a huge talking point. We're definitely going to get to that. And then the defense, just the adjustments coming too late in the second half. There were obviously opportunities in the second half to be able to force some turnovers, but what happened in the first half was completely unacceptable. Just three straight possessions, three first straight possessions for the Lions, all 75-yard scoring possessions. And if you're not able to convert in the red zone, those kind of things are going to rear their ugly head later on in the games. And that's exactly what happened. And I think that those are kind of the two big takeaways from this game outside of Matthew Stafford taking the late hit that nearly knocked him out of the game. The hit to Tyler Higby, which inevitably tore his ACL, unfortunately for him, making a return for early next season is going to be fairly difficult. Puka taking a nasty hit, going in and out of the medical tent. Karen Williams being all banged up. Um, so that's what I feel like made this game so difficult, on top of the fact that there were so many storylines, like Matthew Stafford bringing in his whole entire family with jackets that said Detroit born and Los Angeles raised, and then fans coming into the stadium with Matthew Stafford jerseys just 
duct taped over, just trying to disregard and disrespect everything that he brought to the city. So, and, and you know, you have to kind of understand some of those things because it has been so long, Nick. Okay, we're just gonna paint the picture real quick. You and I, I'm 30 years old, you're 29 years old. We hadn't seen a playoff victory in our entire lives. What type of aggression, type of personality would we be bringing to the table on social media in person if we hadn't seen our team win a playoff game in our entire lifetimes? Yeah, I, kind of, you know. I don't really fault any Detroit fan for, you know, the Stafford jersey ban and don't do this and, you know, booing him coming out because, you know, he's no longer your guy. And I'm, I know that there's a lot of love there for Detroit fans. And I think that if you take it out of this week, every Detroit fan will say how much they love Safford and what he did for them, how, how they were, how he, they were rooting for him in 2021 and all those shirts that were a lion with a Ram head. But in this moment, yeah, like they're going to be charged like, you, you know, to win more than anything else. And it just so happened to be against Stafford. So they're going to lean into that. And I, I thought it was a fun way. I didn't, I didn't take any, animosity towards it i i think kelly stafford may have you know interpreted it in, in a way that was more surface level but still regardless yeah it was emotionally it was emotionally charged especially if you have dan campbell at the end of the game saying hey uh jared you're good enough for detroit like i i that kind of felt like a shot really like i wasn't yeah. really ready for that like so I don't, I don't understand the shot because Stafford went 25 of 36 for 367 yards and two touchdowns and no interceptions, while Goff was 22 of 27 for 227 yards, a touchdown and zero interceptions. Both quarterbacks, I thought, played a, a really clean game. Jared almost had a really massive turnover caused by Aaron Donald. But when he was pressured, Jared Goff was 0 for 5 yeah. for zero yards that's and zero completions and zero that touchdowns. That was the thing. Like the whole X factor of this game was like, we know Goff. We know if we pressure him, what he can become. And you don't bring that really until later. And you let him slice up our secondary. That was always kind of a problem. And all of a sudden you're down 7 nothing, and then you're down 14-3. And you're like, uh, I guess we got to start pressuring him. And then it's just like, I, I don't know. That felt like the, the key to the game was – Use what you know about Jared, and you know, and they really didn't until until it, it was, was a massive, way. massive key to victory. And it, despite the fact that Aaron Donald came out and said this is one of the best young groups I've ever been a part of, like this is it's a great group. These are young core players, and Kobe Turner and Byron Young, and some of the best players in the back end, hopefully Russ Yeast and Quinton Lake, that are going to be mainstays for the Rams' organization for a long period of time. But I think that in trying to figure out Jared Goff, like the defensive adjustments didn't have to come in the second half. Like the Lions hadn't even attempted a third down conversion until the second quarter rolled around. Goff started the game 11 for 11, and it was all on first or second down. They came out firing. They were throwing the kitchen sink at us. But Nick, as you mentioned, 21 points on the board before we even had any negative plays or legitimate pressures. That doesn't make any sense. So you can give Raheem Morris a little bit of a hard time for that. But once they started with some of the stunts to spring Aaron Donald free, a couple of them got caught up, especially on some big third downs. He got caught up in some traffic. But a few blitzes up the middle with Ernest Jones and Christian Roseboom was all the difference. Like you needed a yeah. few others to be able to contribute in that regard as well. But the defense, I felt like, did its job in the back half of this game. And it's the reason why Raheem Morris is going to get a head coaching job over a guy like Dan Quinn. 
who you saw in Dallas. And I feel like these numbers even more so stood out after kind of looking back at the game this morning because 21 points already on the board. It felt like the defense had to be really, really good down the stretch to give us any sort of a shot to stay in this game. And they were. And they were, yeah. (laughs) Like after 21 points were scored, there were seven minutes left in the second quarter. The Lions' possessions went accordingly after that drive. Seven plays, 30 yards, and a punt. That ended the second quarter. Nine plays, 44 yards, and a field goal. That extended the lead. Uh, They got 24 points on the board. I think the score was 24-17 at that point. Four plays, 13 yards, and a punt. That ended the third quarter. Three plays, six yards, and a punt. With seven minutes and 18 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Total of 23 plays, four possessions, 93 total yards, and only three points allowed in the second half. In the first three possessions, 32 plays, 225 yards, 21 points allowed. That's the difference in the game. It's like being able to to quickly make that adjustment, bring some pressure, and and get to Jared Goff before that 21 points is already on the board. Yeah, it it actually reminded me a lot of the 2021 Super Bowl where it felt like to start the game, it was kind of like Burrow had what he wanted in that game. And then to start the third, there's that. One controversial play with the Ramsey face mask, yeah, um, that went huge for a touchdown. But they had nothing after that. Like Raheem adjusted accordingly to what he saw in the first half, and I thought he did that this game as well. It just this time it happened to be uh, too little, too late. But we needed one drive or like one more drive after the first touchdown in the second where yeah. you know Stafford throws a no look to Cooper and you know walks in for a touchdown and we just couldn't yeah. get that and I that know. was that was the difference that's the other piece of it it's the, it's the red zone efficiency it's like you yeah. can talk about where you're missing in terms of personnel and we'll get to that but the Rams' red zone efficiency was the issue in this game the Lions defense ranked 28th in red zone touchdowns allowed only four other teams in the league were worse That, to me, is really, really hard to comprehend, the fact that you weren't able to put together some scoring drives. In the first quarter, in the first first possession, they had a first and 10 from the Lions at 16. They actually ran the ball on first down here, which they were awarded with an unnecessary roughness penalty, which netted them an extra 10 yards. So they had a first and six on Detroit's six-yard line, and they still settled for a field goal on three pass attempts. Like that to me, Nick, is something that Sean McVay has to be able to learn from. He has to be able to adjust. And throughout this game on all three red zone possessions, the adjustments were too little too late. You actually saw Carson Wentz in the final red zone series look like he was running around on the sideline, had his helmet on, because they were probably going to call his number in some regard. You were yeah. probably going to go no, some thought, wild card I, play. Yeah, I was ready for the Wentz okay. gadget run, the the Wentz design run. I was I was ready for it. Uh, I was also ready. I had to get ready. I, I called you after the Stafford hit that was a no call roughing the passer where he got knocked and he got knocked again. It looked like his eyes were like rolling back to his head. It was horrible. And I don't know if that was him like being aggravated just from taking the hit. Like he was like, I'm going to get hit again. So like here, my eyes are just like, geez, this hurts. Or if it was the ramifications from a concussion. But he right. went in back into the medical tent. He was checked out and he was okay. But we were on the phone and we were saying to ourselves, you know, this is probably the season. Matthew Stafford yeah. gets knocked out of this game. What's yeah, left? Yeah. I was like, Carson Wentz going back to Philly next week? <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> you know, come back win. Um, Drama that I, I wasn't necessarily prepared for. But, like, outside of that, like, Puka Nakua breaks the all-time rookie record 
originally held by DK Metcalf for most receiving yards by a rookie in a postseason game. Just outrageous. Nine receptions, 182 yards, and a touchdown, most by a rookie in a postseason game. Every broke DK Metcalf's record. But it, it seems like the way that this offense was successful back in 2021, they kind of leaned on that a little bit too much in terms of Stafford being an empty. You're overly relying on a player like Puka Nakua. And then in the red zone, that's when the struggles kind of rear their ugly head. It's like you're not able to be creative enough. That second possession, they had a first and 10 from the Lions' 11-yard line after an incompletion on a throwaway by Stafford. The Rams tried their first jet sweep to Puka Nakua on the day, and this was under three minutes to go in the third quarter. It's like the, the broadcast team was talking about how it's such a big part of their identity of their offense when Goff was there and when Stafford was there. And after yard loss, they opted to throw twice. They settled for a field goal and a touchdown on that second red zone possession would have made that game 24 to 24. Instead, the field goal made it 24 to 20 and the Lions had three minutes to go in the third quarter. So like those are kind of like little tiny differences. If you're able to convert just on that possession out of the three possessions you have in the red zone, you tie the game and you can't be overly relying on somebody like Puka Nakua on a jet sweep because it gets predictable when his number is called so frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, it felt like I was just watching a lot of what we saw this year where you get to the red zone and you're worried that if the kicker is even going to make it, doesn't matter how close you are. And you're like, we're settling and this is going to bite us in the ass. And that's what happened. You know, that's, that's was kind of one of the big things of the season, like motifs, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. There's like, you, you get to the red zone and this is why you're struggling. Like it, in that Steelers game, it felt like that was why. And then now in the playoffs, you get an opportunity to to beat Detroit at home with Stafford, and you just come just so short. Just such you're, short. you're just so close. And it's a matter of McVay getting a little panicky too. Like in that third red zone possession, they had second and 11 from Detroit's 14. It just got so predictable. Like you knew it was coming, and you settled for a field goal. By miracle, Brett Maher makes everything he kicked yesterday. Right. <laughs> the last thing that anybody was expecting. But there was a holding call late in the game that knocked him out of field goal range and I think forced him to punt. And those are kind of just some of the differences that that knock you out of points and knock you out of, out of contention later on in the game. And, you know, I, I think that it was really telling knowing that the Lions were three for three. And we talked about this before the game even started. It was like, they're going to throw the, the kitchen sink at us. Ben Johnson's really, really efficient in the red zone. They do a great job with Jared Goff in those kind of situations. They do a great job with the run game. And you could tell, like, the Lions hadn't even um, had any issues in terms of scoring in the red zone. Like, they were three for three. And I think that it was just – it, it was just creative. Like you saw three offensive linemen shift out to the right. I think you saw Sam Laporta follow. You saw the Rams' defense kind of shuffle and panic a little bit. And then you saw an inside slant to Sam Laporta just look so easy on a on a conversion to Jared Goff. Oh, for a yeah, and it's like that. those are moments where you need to be able to dial up the perfect play call. If you're not listening to Mike LaFleur, if he's not giving you good advice, Carson Wentz isn't in the game, those are not excuses as to why you shouldn't be able to convert on three attempts. It's like all of their touchdowns came on explosives. Yeah. 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 It, credit where credit is due. I felt like their creativity in the red zone was there and you know, they, yeah. they earned their, those touchdowns definitely. But when you hold them to three after giving up 21 or like, yeah, what was it? Yeah. No, no, it was only giving up 14, uh, 17 going in, but still it's like, you have it, it, the, the window is so open 
And not only was the window open for this game, it felt like the window was wide open for the next two games. And it it's it's just tough. It's it's yeah. It's a, it's a so, hard it's a hard Monday. So yeah, it's 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 definitely tough. But I think one thing that we've talked about the whole season, we talked about it before we jumped on the episode. It's like our expectations for the season was just to be able to get there. Like they yeah. overachieved. We thought the rookie class played really well. The free agent class that they brought in were very cheap. They were able to fit under the salary cap and make things work. You're able to get yourself into the playoffs. You're able to win five of six games within the division and build out this new foundational core with young players. So I think for, for that regard, it's really successful. And then when you yeah. look through the future and you look to 2024 and 2025, you're thinking to yourself, Super Bowl expectations. Like, why would this team not be expected to win over 11 and a half games next season and be one of the three, four, five favorites to go out and go back to the Super Bowl because of how well coached they are, because of how great the front office is, because they could replicate some of these methodologies in the draft from year to year. I mean, maybe there's not as much of a priority on hitting on some of the, the picks in the later round, but now you know you could find some other supplemental players that can help complement everybody else that's on the roster. And that's what they did such a good job of in 2020 and 2021 while they were building up this Super Bowl roster. And throughout the season, you know, you get to like October, November, you know, you might say we still need an edge rusher. We still need a, a, a somebody in our secondary. We might, we might need Eric Weddle to keep playing pickup basketball so we can stay fresh for the next Super Bowl run. Like all in consideration. But I think like in terms of expectations, how the season went, I, I, I'm not that sad because yeah. I know we're going to be back. The, the distant future of the 2024 season is so bright. It is oh so bright. And you have every reason to be very happy looking forward and having this core and still keeping Sean McVay and Stafford's going to be back. And, yep. you know, that's, that's all amazing. But the, the very close future that we all foresaw when the Packers beat Dallas was right there for yeah. the taking. Yeah. And – it's gone. It's not that, you know, the season's over and we're back to start. And, um, you know, we, we don't get to do two episodes going forward like I thought we were going to be able to do. And I was <laughs> I was just really, really lo- looking forward we could to do. We could do as many episodes as you want. <laughs> True. Just, just keep rolling them out. Yeah. Because, well, um, you know, you know, what's so fun about this? It's not like like it doesn't it feels like a little bit of a downer shore because it's over. But what's on the horizon and what's to come next season is going to be really fun. Like we're this entire process of like figuring out what the final pieces are to potentially build another Super Bowl roster is like a champagne problem. And it's been yeah. the, the, the way that the Rams have kind of built their identity over the past couple of years. It's like, all right, we go to the playoffs or we lose, you know, coming off of a Super Bowl win. And then we go to the playoffs again and then we build everything back up and then we're right at the top again. And everybody's yeah. kind of looking down from the bottom and what we're missing for starters, a kicker, you know, we're missing a real kicker. You could talk about special teams. It wasn't a problem last night, but it's definitely something that's going to be addressed in free agency or the draft. And you got a really good punter and you have a decent long snapper who was hurt towards the end of the season, but he'll come back fresh next year. And then I think in terms of the, the cap situation and what we're looking at um, for 2024 per over the cap, 44 million in, in cap space. So it's enough to lock in a player like Kevin Dotson. You know, it's enough to be able to go out and bring in another edge rusher via free agency or the draft. It's enough to be able to have to make some tough decisions in the secondary. But I wouldn't be surprised if they they spend a lot of their money on secondary and and on an edge rusher because their glue guy, the guy that's built their defensive scheme coming out of Brandon Staley and Vic Fangio in Raheem Morris, 
is no longer probably going to be in the building. So you're going to need some other players, key personnel, some veterans to be able to build that back up. So let me say this about key personnel and veterans. Um, Carson Wentz back up for the Rams next year. Get him, get him on the team legitimately. Don't draft somebody. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want them to draft somebody. I think, uh, I, I think Wentz can absolutely be the backup. I, like, even if Stafford's got like two years left, um, I don't think we need to draft it. Like, I, I don't think we have to drag, draft anybody for like two years. If well, if you can sign Wentz for, for two years. So what about watching Jordan Love yesterday? Because I was going crazy. I was like, the, this Green Bay Packers thing has to be studying for Rodgers to Jordan Love. Like, can, he, can we find somebody that can sit behind Stafford for two years and then – get on the field and perform as that well. As so that's so rare though that, I mean, like, you know, that was Trey Lance, right? The Trey Lance sat behind Jimmy G and nothing ever came of yeah, that. But different like, Rogers and Favre are way different than Jimmy G, right? Yeah. I, yeah. No, for sure. I, I, I just don't think that's really sustainable. I think they just keep hitting the sure. jackpot over well, and over. Well, because again. nobody else really has ever done it. It's, it's right. historically not sustainable to have three quarterbacks over a 41 year period. It doesn't make any I sense. I actually texted two of my friends that are Packers fans, that uh, Shaq quote, where it's like, I apologize. I was not familiar with your game because <laughs> I, I was not on Jordan Love at all. The only game I really watched of him was the Rams one where they hit, he played horrible and they managed to win because we started Brett Rippon. Uh, and, and, then I, and then I watched this game and I was like, oh, dude is like in the air making like 50-yard bomb throws. Well, that's that's why I want somebody to be able to come in and, and play behind Matthew Stafford. Like, I think I know you're talking about bringing in Carson Wentz, and I wouldn't be opposed to that. Like, I wouldn't be opposed to signing Carson Wentz for another year if they're not going to draft another quarterback. You still have Stenson Bennett, so hopefully he can come back and, and still be somewhat serviceable. Um, we just it's just such an unknown. But like outside corner, I think is really fascinating because you're coming off of a year where you had a ton of turnover in the secondary, like Kobe Turner or Kobe Durant. Like he was going to be that versatile player that could be in the star, that could play a little bit on the outside. But Quentin Lake fully owned the star position. Like he yeah. he grew up, learned that position, and owned it, and now is the full-time starter there. And Akella Witherspoon was our other primary outside corner, but Kobe and Kendrick are in rotation on the opposite side. So you're thinking to yourself, can you upgrade that position? Do you have enough there? Are you going to lose Akella Witherspoon to free agency? Definitely a, a position to kind of focus on. So I think between kicker, uh, between edge rusher, between yeah. outside corner, back end, you're probably going to lose Jordan Fuller and John Johnson was a rental. So you're going to have to look at Russ Yeast and potentially filling that other position with another rookie. But there's probably three or four positions that can be afforded to be upgraded that will take you right to the top. And I think yeah. that that's a very small amount considering we needed almost – every starter from last year you were able to do so much with so little this year i think edge yeah. rusher is, is definitely number one i think the john johnson billboards around los angeles are going to have to be taken down uh next year I, I don't think he'll be on the team uh but i also think that there's going to be a huge difficulty curve because i just don't see raheem staying um defensive coordinator so I, I think he's going to have to get a head coaching job. I think he's absolutely earned it. Even Kevin, uh, Kevin Demoff is like shouting his resume out, um, tweeting it out. Like, I don't know how this guy, how he's still on our team essentially. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, it's good. It, it may be slow to start on the defensive side, but still 
uh, our offense feels like it can go toe, toe for toe if, if we can figure out that red zone problem and we get like a real kicker and you're not like having to go for it on like fourth and five at like the 45, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Situationally, situationally, if they can get a little bit better in the red zone, it's one small problem, but then defensively, if you can get a little bit more personnel up front, give Aaron Donald a little bit more help and have some help on the back end, everything's going to kind of come together. Like should we call Matthews again? (laughs) Definitely not. Yeah, call back up uh, Samsung Ebicam and, and Oboe and some of those other faces that were on the team for a minute um, just to get some more some more help at the, at the edge, rusher, uh, edge rusher position. But, like, you're going to find somebody in the draft. You're going to pay somebody big-time money because the whole year the yeah. defense was underpaid. Like, they were unanimously that, that grouping that was not paid – as much as some of the other top defenses in the league, despite the fact that they were performing well since the bye, you know, over the last eight weeks, it's, it's just, a, it's a tough thing to be able to figure out, but I, I know that they're going to get there even if they did lose Raheem Morris. Yeah, I, I believe so too. I, I'm, I'm already, whatever the total is for Rams wins next season, nine and a half, 10 and a half, 11 and a half. I'm taking the over. If you guys are going to take the over next year and wins, if you guys think we're going back to the Super Bowl, even if not, and you're just enjoying the content, you want more of it, make sure that you guys are. Ram it! <laughs> like and subscribe. What does our future hold, Dean? Are we going to do another episode this week or what? I don't know. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. We'll do some emergency pods throughout the offseason. Will obviously be big on the draft because it's one of my favorite things. Got some players I've already started on the big board, so you know how that's that's going to come around again. It's only in a couple of months, um, and then we're going to be back in June, July, before we know it, in OTAs and training camp, and we're going to be you know talk about Super Bowl expectations again. So the time it's going to go by really quick. Yeah. I, I hope that everybody enjoyed the season. I hope that everybody enjoyed all the content that we put out. It's going to be more. It's going to be plentiful, um, and we appreciate you guys always. Yeah, we said the best possible way to, to end this season it was was right here at the hands of Jared Goff, and then it happened, and I got all upset. But <laughs> <laughs> regardless, it was a great year. Thank you, everybody, for listening and helping grow the, um, the show, and we just really appreciate you guys. Cheers to you. Go Rams. Talk to you guys soon. Peace. <laughs>